first sort of a Michelin star pub or one of the first in, in, in the world. And um, local lad done good, really. Yeah, definitely. Uh, flown the sort of white rose flag for, for Yorkshire and its produce and been a good shop window for it all, you know, and a farmer's son. You know, I've always sort of grown up with the seasons and whatever else. It's, it's good, really. You bought that pub and it was practically derelict. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's been described as the perfect pub. It's a bit of a chocolate box um, village. When I bought it, it was empty and it's run down and uh, and uh, nobody wanted it. You know, it was for sale for a year. We came along, I was 25 years old, uh, played rugby with a bank manager in the good old days. Did a bit of a deal, gave him a few good lunches and a bottle of wine extra and away we went. What did that vision look like when you bought that pub? What did you have in your head? What did you foresee? Um... I didn't foresee to have four restaurants <laughs> on the back of it, but I, uh, no, we just got on with it, you know, and, and did, did our own thing. When it first started off, it was myself in the kitchen, and there was uh, my wife out front and her mum uh, behind the bar. Uh, and now we have probably about 150, 60 staff on, on the books. So it's uh, it's grown in more ways than one, a bit like me over the years. <laughs> <you know? laughs> but I've got a good excuse, you know, you've got to uh, try the food, try the wine list. Try the beers. No, it's a fantastic occupation. It's more of a hobby than anything else, to be honest. You know, and a fantastic um, part of the world to live in. So, is that something you think about? You know, like when you're doing a great British menu or your photography that I've seen you. I've seen this, a fantastic picture of you, this pheasant or something like that around your neck. Do you think about your image at all? You know, being famous. I don't think about my image. No, I mean, uh, um, as I mentioned before, I'm a farmer's son. You know, I was born in Whitby, lived along the Esk Valley. Went to Scarborough Tech. Um, I just think I'm sort of local local guy who's done done well, but done well using the fantastic produce which we've got in Yorkshire. And 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 you know, as I always say, it's a great sort of shop window of what we do. You know, you read through our menu and it's a bit like the who's who of of Yorkshire and Rydale. Um, and we let the seasons write our menu, so we're very much up to date within using the the seasons to get the best produce so it's there's a glut of it so you're buying cheap but it's literally on your doorstep sometimes you know so you know you, you know as you say about the pheasants we have two game suppliers two local shoots probably within about 200 yards of the pub so they shoot deer to order if we need it you know so, it's got to be uh, a chef's paradise isn't it it is you know and I think we're the envy we've got a lot of friends of Claude Bosey, Sat Baines, Tom Kerridge, those guys who come and stay sometimes and uh, they can't believe the produce because some of their suppliers who are supplying the depths of Mayfair and London Town or whatever who are sort of regulars in the pub. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, it's fantastic. Hello, it's Paul from the Past Podcast. I just wanted to say a massive thank you for downloading this. There's more to come, so please subscribe. This podcast is brought to you in line with Great British Chefs. It's a fantastic website that I'm a member of. It brings you recipes, tips, and there's loads of features. In fact, if you think, two of my guests this year have been on the Great British menu. They've got a fantastic feature going along with that this year. And you can get involved and take quizzes. One of the things I didn't know is they have a fantastic recipe guide. You can search from ingredients that you've got in stock. Or sometimes what I do is just go down to the market, buy one ingredient, and then you can look online and see what goes with it. And now, it's time for this week's podcast. On with the show! So, my guest on the first ever recording of the past podcast, I cannot believe I'm saying this, is quite frankly a legend 
in Yorkshire and even further beyond, as you've just alluded to. Not just content with holding a Michelin star in your pub in Harrow, you've also now just won the best gastro pub in the UK. You've got Mr P's where we're sat right now, with star in the city, and you're about to go home and open up in Whitby. So thank you so much, Andrew Perm. Welcome to the Past Podcast. Thank you very much indeed. That's a pleasure to be here. So all those accolades I've just bestowed on you, what drives you to carry on opening up new places, try new things? Um, I think uh, I'm a proud Yorkshireman, to be honest, and I love the idea that we can take on everybody else in the country and, you know, why can't we compete against the guys in London and you know, the seafood of Cornwall, if you, you know, you mentioned there Whitby, I was born in Whitby and uh, I think that Whitby itself can be the sort of padstow of the north, you know, if not better. I mean, Whitby is a lovely looking place, slightly better looking than it was 30 years ago when I was growing <laughs> up there <coughs> and the rest. Um, but it is, you know, people love it and it's very much that seaside sort of town that is, it's still got a bit of edginess to it. It's still slightly raw, but, you know, it's, it's gathering pace quickly. And if we can be part of that, tourism and using the great produce of uh, the North Sea and, and the ocean pantry of what it's got there. It's another angle of, you know, we've got the start harem, which is 14th century Thatch pub, Michelin star food, but still a village local, you know, and I live across the road and, and lived upstairs for eight and a half years. So I've been there now 21 years in June, so next month. And um, as you say, we've won we won the first pubs in the world to to get a Michelin star. We won three Katie Awards, which are like the uh, the Oscars, first people ever to do that. And 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 currently um, UK um, Gastro Pub of the Year. And again, that's the third time um, we've won that. I've never been out of the top five in in twenty one years. Yeah. So it's consistency, you know. But it's as an occupation, it's not an occupation. It's a hobby. It's a way of life. You know. I've got seven children now, which is quite random as well. So I'm, I'm sort of competing with the amount of restaurants as amount of children. All the kids have one each. Uh, yeah, it's like your legacy. You're going to leave I, them one I, each. I, I enjoy doing the different things and the diversity and everything that we do and things that I, I will do again in the future. I'm sure there's other things in the pipeline. I'm not re- replicating what we do. So you can have different experiences at the different establishments of which I've got. You know, here, yeah. Mr. B's in the shadows of York Minster is fabulous. Um, but it's a small sort of tapas style if you like but still using you know that yorkshire food yeah um so local produce cooked you know in, in worldly dishes if you like um starting city on the on the um banks of the river ooze there fantastic sun trap you know it'll be it'll be packed out in the sun shining uh today hopefully uh, very much brasserie style volume big numbers lots of cocktails you know you go there for for a good time, you know. Uh, and then Whitby, I think, will be, will, won't be dissimilar. It's slightly bigger than the Star in the City, so 160 covers, right wow. on the uh, edge of the harbour side, looking up towards the Abbey. You know, great produce again. So my head chef from there is a guy I was at college with. Um, Wayne Gildroy is called. He, he's worked at the Magpie and he's worked for Brian Turner. He's worked at the Savoy Grill. Uh, so there's a lot, you know, a, a good pedigree of, of chefs that we've got, you know, working. So when you, a long way since I, yeah. when I started off by myself. When you look back at that, and as I've asked you to do, how do you go about summing up your career in one menu, which is what I've asked you to do today? What were your first thoughts? I've been a chef for a long time. You know, I started, um, I actually started cooking when I was about eight years old. And because uh, unfortunately, my mum got MS, multiple cirrhosis. And um, as a farmer's son, I didn't really know what was going on. It was quite unusual because nobody really heard of the disease that long ago. It seemed like a good idea to be in a nice warm kitchen rather than like my brother out in the pouring rain with his uh, hand up a sheep's backside. You know, it wasn't that appealing. And, 
still to this day isn't that appealing and I'm still in a nice warm kitchen. Have you so. still got farmers in the family? Um, Dad has a small holding now at Slice just outside Whitby. Uh, brother no longer uh, farming uh, so he was obviously put off by the rain and the uh, <laughs> and the view. She's uh, <laughs> back time maybe. Uh, but I'm still cooking so you know we'd, uh, and again you know whatever it was 30 plus years ago when I first started cooking, you know, I played a lot of rugby and whatever, played rugby for Yorkshire schools and stuff. And to say that you would to be a cook and a chef was a bit odd. Yeah. You know, it wasn't like it is now. And it was only just coming onto TV with Floyd and things like that. Uh, there's a guy, the Galloping Gourmet, who was before that. But there wasn't any real cookery programs on uh, on TV. I think even Lloyd Grossman was doing MasterChef then, so it was that long ago. Yeah. So um, we, I, I took a bit of jip. But, you know, as a shy retiring type that, we, that we're not, we came back fighting and, uh, you know, took the world by storm. If you like, Paid off you just know. a little bit, I yeah. think. Yeah, no, it's great. You've talked about Keith Floyd in interviews, and I definitely see a, I like to, I've put here on my notes, a French Yorkshire influence. So that being said, perhaps you could introduce the first dish on your menu and tell me a little bit about it and why you've put it there. <clears throat> so the first dish, um, again, you know, I've got a, a love affair, if you like, with France. I used to be a Frenchman about 500 years ago. Hence the surname is Pern. It used to be uh, De Pern, uh, meaning of Pern of the area, which is um, uh, Brittany, near Campere and that sort of area. So there's actually places called Saint Pern, Point de Pern. It's an area, a bit like the Howardian Hills, if you think of Simon Howard and all that sort of style. Uh, so I probably had some money once upon a time. Uh, <laughs> I'm not quite sure where it's gone. Maybe we should open a restaurant there. Yeah. Might do quite well. Um, but the lobster niçoise. Uh, we went on a short break down to um, and stayed at Nice, and there was a great uh, restaurant uh, which is still there called Louis Cans, uh, Alan Ducasse restaurant in Monaco, and uh, we turned up there on a Monday, and we were there till Thursday to get back to work for the weekend, and um, and uh, I decided to um, give them a call, as you do, you know, I was probably about 25, 26 years old, and I thought we're never going to get into this place, but I rang them anyway, and said. Uh, uh, any chance I can get a table? And they're like, no, monsieur, you have to wait, you know, you have to book three months ahead or whatever. I was like, all right, okay, fine. Um, but uh, I said, can you put, put me on a cancellation list, anything like that? Yeah, of course, no problem, no problem. So they did this. Uh, I said, Wednesday night, please, about eight o'clock, something like that. And uh, got to Wednesday, tea time, probably about half past four, five o'clock, quarter to five. And uh, phone goes in the hotel. Uh, it's uh, Alan Ducasse, um, Louis Kahn's restaurant on the phone field. Like, you joking? <laughs> I said, Mr. Pern has confirmed your table for this evening. I'm like, you are joking. Uh, well, I didn't say that because so I couldn't speak French. Uh, but they, um, they got the gist of it and said, uh, just to make you aware, you know, of the uh, the dress code. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, just just run it by me one more time, you know. I sit there, I'm a swimmer drunk, so basically I'm shorts. And, uh, and they said, well, you need a um, shirt tie, you know. Uh, no shorts and whatever. I said, oh, fine, no problem. Yeah, see you at 8 o'clock, we'll be there. Um, thinking, oh my God, I don't have a jacket, I don't have a tie, I don't have anything. So I go and buy it, went downstairs, um, said, can I get some money out? Couldn't get any money out of the reception. So I just ran off and think I'll get some out of the card. Um, went to uh, buy some clothes, all the shops were closed. I was like, oh my God, I was starting to sweat a bit more. I probably had a, maybe a gin or beer, uh, too many at uh, lunchtime. So I came back and said, I've got a problem. I've got this table at the Alan Ducasse restaurant. And um, they said, oh my God, you have the table, monsieur? I said, yeah, yeah, this is a reception guy. I said, but I don't have a jacket. He's like, I have a jacket, I have a jacket. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not small. 
Uh, and this guy said, oh, you can wear my jacket, wear my jacket. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so he got his jacket out, and he's like sort of usual French sort of dedicated follower of fashion. It's like a silvery colour thing, and it was like halfway up my arms. I looked like I should be in Eurovision Song Contest this morning. <laughs> anyway, so I tried it. See, it fits great. I was like, oh, my God. But I said, I need a tie as well. And he just took his tie off and gave it to me anyway. It's so service, up, isn't it? We got there. Exactly. It was fantastic. We got there uh, to Alain de Casse, and he's sitting there as though you're sort of dining in Buckingham Palace. And the first dish that I ordered was the lobster niçoise. I thought, we're there. It's got it's meant to be. And they brought out this immaculate-looking lobster, all just there in its splendour, you know, with, with the beans and the, and the egg and the olives and everything. That's all that region, you know, fantastic-looking uh, lobster. And they pulled up a trolley next to me. I said, what the hell are they doing here? And the uh, restaurant manager came over, mixing bowl, made the vinaigrette in front of us, took all of the dish apart, put it all into the bowl, dressed everything in front of us, checked the seasoning, and then remade the whole dish in front of us. And that was the restaurant manager, not the chef. That's and incredible. That amazing. I still have now. Yeah. You know, sort of That's tingling incredible. now just thinking about it. Can, and yeah. that was just like the showstopper. That is what it's all about. It's a simple dish of their region. And I thought, if I can do 1% of that, of their cuisine terroir, what they've got in Yorkshire, then yeah. we'll do okay. It's funny, isn't it? Because of the reason I got into this is I'm a big diner. You know, I go out and eat in a lot of places. And I've got memories exactly like that. And it's so fantastic to hear that it's lasted with you for so, yeah. so, so long. Uh, and I would go back and I would try and have that same dish again just to watch, yeah. you know. But I love that theatre of everything, you know. And it needs to be more of an experience when you're going out to dine. It's hospitality at the end of the day. You know, if you've got a restaurant, it's a bit like a shop. You know, you go there, you book your table, you eat and you leave. You know, you know roughly what's going to happen. But if anything extra that adds to that that experience is brilliant. You know, I mean, at Aaron, we've got... Um, uh, nine letting bedrooms at the moment and, and plans for another 11, 12, 13 even. Um, so when they get there, they're doing their own little world, really. Uh, so that's an, an added bonus, an added extra, really. You know, so. Have you told that story to your chefs in, I keep saying harem, you're saying harem. Harem. harem well, local, you know. I'm going to say harem. Yeah. Try and say harem. <laughs> and say, have you told that story and said, this is how we need to make Oh, yeah. The guests yeah. feel like. Yeah. I tell them about three times an hour. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a little bit bored of that story. Yeah. Yeah. They'll be listening to this no, back halfway asleep. Time, you know, and even one of the new dishes last night, you know, you go back in the kitchen today. I think it needs this. I think it needs that. And they get it because, you know, I don't cook all day, every day now uh, because of the other businesses and, you know, family and whatever else. But they know where I'm coming from. Mm. And they thankfully, they trust what I'm saying and, and, they, and they, they actually appreciate where we've been, what we've what I've learned, and and whatever over the years. But um... with having, as you say, you've got this expanding business now. Something I was interested in is I wondered um, if there was something, maybe one key element, or not necessarily an ingredient, but one key element that you could see that run that collects all of your restaurants together, or all of the dishes that go on an Andrew Pern establishment. Is there um, one thing that you could say that would tie them together, or are they? I think it's that. Um... That sort of rich man, poor man sort of element I quite like, um, where you've got some of the dishes like a braised shin of, of beef, you can partner that with tail end of you know fillet of beef or whatever, or lobster, then you bulk it up with uh, maybe like a lasagna or haricot bean cassoulet. We do a lobster cassoulet with black pudding, which is lovely. So you're using cheaper ingredients, but allowing a bigger audience to have it by bulking it up with cheaper ingredients. It brings the cost down, brings the price down a bit. That's a phrase, yeah. actually, I've heard mentioned about your second dish. I think here. that sort of goes through it exactly. You were coming on to the black pudding and foie gras, which 
has become my signature dish. And you know, I think if we took it off the menu, there'd be there'd be rioting in the streets of Harem and and further afield. Um, so I've got a note here that that refers to one of your cookbooks as well. Yeah, yeah, I've written two books. Uh, first book, Black Pudding and Foie Gras, because I think it's sort of. Um, it gives the feel of the star itself, the black pudding being that North Country staple, so that sort of represents the locals, if you like, you know, and the guys in the village who come in for a, a pint, read the paper, you know, local cricket team even, whatever. You know, it's all very much still part of the community and that sort of hub of, hub of the area. Um, and the foie gras maybe being that slightly more luxurious ingredient, representing the lords, ladies, you know, the landowners, royalty, even film stars, anybody and everybody's welcome at the place. But it just does seem to to represent the whole place really, you know, and uh, people love it, you know, and when we sell, it's it's just about the best, it is the best starter that we've got on, you know, best-selling starter, sorry. And uh, and it's been on the menu for about 18 years now. We tr- we tried to change it at the um, at the millennium and go all snazzy with it and do purees and all sorts of fannying about with it really. Um, but then every complainer said, well, can we have it like it was? So we've just gone back to it as it was and, as I say, it's, it's always on our tasting menus. People always ask us to do it, you know, um, if we're doing uh, demonstrations or different uh, dinners and things like that. So, Have you got a memory yeah. of creating that dish, you know, the first time when you thought, yes, these ingredients work? Well, I think uh, I think exactly as I've just said, I needed something to sort of snazzy up the black pudding, if you like, you know, and I thought, oh, we'll try this out and made a bit of a sandwich. So it's a slice of black pudding, then a pan-fried foie gras in the middle, then the black pudding on top. And we blowtorch uh, a slice of apple, so it gives a toffee apple uh, texture, which a lot of people say is the best bit, which is slightly unnerving. But if they <laughs> want to pay 15 quid for a slice of apple, that's fine by me. It could be a good for a vegetarian option. Local watercress, the apple and vanilla chutney is quite sweet, obviously. And if you think of when you're eating uh, foie gras, then um, you have that uh, dessert wine, like sauternes or something maybe with that. Uh, the apples and the black pudding is obviously a natural combination like there's a boudin noir and normand um so apples and black pudding go well together then the scrumpy reduction is a cider and cider vinegar reduced down so that cuts through the fattiness of the foie gras so it's uh it just works well obviously works so people love it and you can do all sorts of new things all, all sorts of new dishes and people always say that's the best one tasted menus that was my favorite you know really uh but no it's a good it's a good problem to have because there's no need to change it, you know. And I think more and more so as we um come up with different dishes, you sort of have your sort of your top ten, you know, top ten starters, top ten and you could get away with not changing any of the dishes. But, you know, as I said at the beginning of the interview, I like to change with the seasons and let the seasons write our menus. So we're always um, looking to, to tweak things slightly and you know, bring new dishes and new uh, new ingredients onto the menu. It's almost like you're um, like an artist. When you go and see a band and they're waiting, you're waiting, or you go, they play their greatest hit. Yeah, and that gig big, that you see, and they go, <laughs> bloody hell, you know, they haven't played. I, yeah. I go see Paul Weller quite a lot, and I go, oh, I wonder if it's going to do Town Called Malice today. And it's, it's almost that playing, you know, you as the chef, you're playing with me as the yeah. diner. Do you maybe tweak around with when it's going to come on on the tasting menu maybe to give that little bit of surprise or oh, normally it would be third on the dishes well um, we look back at old menus sort of year on year uh, as, as they're coming in and, and you can virtually if if I had last year's menu at this time of year I would write a menu off the top of my head and it would be 90% of, of last year's one because there's no need to change things you know you put a lamb with a new season asparagus uh, sea, sea bass with uh, some heritage tomatoes, that sort of thing, whatever you know, and and they just chop and change a bit. But having the different places, 
like Mr. B's, you know, again, you can use, we've sort of broken the rules a bit with our Yorkshire dishes, if you like. So in essence, it's still there, you know, that, that sort of locality and, um, and seasonality of the food. But we've sort of broken a few boundaries with that. Uh, and then hopefully with Whitby, you know, I've, I was born and, born and brought up by the coast, you know, and my grandparents live at Sands End, just north of Whitby. I was at school at Robinhood's Bay uh, and, and played rugby for Whitby. So I had a lot of, uh, lot of time on the coast. So that will then allow us to use everything sort of shellfish, seafood, whatever, but still lamb from the Vale of York, you know, uh, local farmers all the way around the vicinity of Whitby, uh, local estates will have the, you know, the game on. So, you know, you can go on and on, you know, uh, it's just a great occupation, a great, great job to have, really. How do you see your role now? Um, I see uh, my role, as I always have been, really, as sort of captain of the team, you know, and uh, um, I don't necessarily have to cook all the time, but actually the easiest thing in my life is standing in the kitchen cooking, because that's what I started off doing. That's where my um, my adrenaline gets going a bit, you know, and I like the action and I like the banter and I like the, the camaraderie of the kitchen, really, you know, and that's when I started off cooking when I was probably 14 years old in the kitchen, in a professional kitchen rather than cooking at home. But I think I was sort of quite before my time as well, really, because I'd, uh, I went off to work um, through college uh, in the Fontainebleau and then down to Centimillion and uh, came back and you got to remember that nobody really did good food in pubs. I'm not saying that my food was good, but I ended up being head chef at 21 at a country house sort of hotel at the, called the Milburn Arms at Rosedale, which is in the depths of the um, North York Moors. Um, but we'd have comfy duck leg on, we'd have booby base and North Sea fish. And, uh, you know, I was cooking nice things then for a couple of hundred covers on a, on a Saturday night. And then probably three of us in the kitchen, you know. And we worked hard and we played um, harder. Um, I think quite a few people may may know of that element of me. Uh, but it's it's great, you know, that um, that I can still be involved. And, and I'm very much hands-on all the time. You know, we're involved in, I write 90% of all the menus. Um, the chefs now will give me ideas and then um, we'll read through them, go through them, try them out, and then I'll throw them in the bin and do my own stuff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, uh, we all work together, you know, and because I can't physically do, I can't be in all those places at the same time. But uh, uh, as you alluded to before, that we, they've all got that sort of vein of a bit of humour, a bit of seasonality, a bit of class, a few few random ones, you know. Um, so like we, we've got Fargo Toad in the Hole going on. You know, so rather than doing the black pudding and uh, foie gras, we've got a bit of a nod towards that, but it's still very Yorkville. You can't get any more Yorkshire than that. So little things like that, and you've got to you've got to enjoy yourself doing it. I mean, it's it's, it's a hard job, and it's one that sort of fills the day in. There's it's a lot of hours in the day, and they tend to be mostly in the kitchen or if not in the bar. Uh, that's still sort of work I, I try and get away with. Um, <laughs> You can justify it, it, I think. The bar gets in between the kitchen and my house, which is across the road, so it's a bit like a magnet in there sometimes. I get drawn in. But no, I've worked together with all the, you know, from the local schools we've been doing a bit with the Whitbean District uh, to the uh, Scarborough Tech, as was, uh, Yorkshire Coast College, which is now changing its name again, I think, uh, working with the students there uh, to um, doing demos at farmers' markets and and local um, food uh, shows and whatever else. I'm um, down to Chelsea Flower Show uh, week after next. 
promoting uh, their, their garden for Welcome to Yorkshire, uh, which is now a coastal theme. And then we're with Tom Kerridge uh, next weekend at the pub in the park, which is will be, will be great. There's 10 Mission side restaurants going there. So we're always flying the flag for Yorkshire, really. And uh, you can take from it what you want. You know, I've cooked all the way around the world doing Yorkshire dishes. I've actually cooked the toad in the hole, the five-hour toad in the hole in the Maldives in the middle of the Indian Ocean, and that was their dish of the week. So <laughs> that's great, you know. Um, so, no, I mean, it's, it's fantastic. You know? Obviously, Yorkshire's at your heart, but you touched on France, and I thought that tied in really nicely with your next dish. So France was quite a lot of your formal training, would you say, happened yeah, in France? I, I was trained classically French, yeah. So it was all very much the the derivatives of hollandaise and fricassees and blanquettes and all that sort of thing. So... Um, as I mentioned at the beginning, that maybe if I could um, anglicise some of the cuisine terroir, if you like, you think of the dishes of the depths of Burgundy, the brilliant food, and, and, and that's probably more the most like what we have. You think of the game, they've got the wild boar, and you know um, we've got the beers around where we are, so you can you know replicate the wines that they put into their dishes. So it's it's very much that sort of feel to it, and the phase uh, phase and uh, was one that I cooked when I was about eight or nine years old, just when mum uh, became poorly. I found this dish, um, what was it, the Robert Carrier magazines. She had all these sort of magazines, which are a bit like the good food magazines of, of this day and age, um, all tied up under a hostess trolley in the corner of the dining room. And I got them out, as you do. We were on a farm next to our neighbours for two miles away. So I didn't have a lot to do, really. <laughs> didn't have Sky Sports, uh, you know. Or mobiles. Can't or turn the rugby exactly. on. Exactly. It was, no, I got a rugby ball, but I had to kick it as far as I could down the ploughed field and that, I'd gone pitch it. So that was the entertainment, really. So um, we, uh, I found this magazine and decided looking through it. And we had a glut of games. My dad had a rough shoot on the farm. So I remember making a woodcock terrine when I was probably eight or nine years old. Uh, I did the Faison Normand, which was a hit. And it's still on our menus now here at Star in the City. And we put it on the market menu down at um, Start Heron. So that's your, this is your was, third dish. This is the one that I actually put a question mark next to. It's the one I'm least familiar with. Yeah. So perhaps you so could it's, explain it's, it. It's a creamy sauce. It's classic, like, like a fricassee, basically. Uh, so you think of Normandy, apples in France. Um, so we've got the pheasant, colour off the pheasant, onions, leeks, celery, add cider, Normandy cider, in my case, with wood, woodpecker cider from the local uh, local shop. Um, <laughs> White lightning. Yeah, exactly. A bit like that. It would all do the trick. Um, add cream to that and just simmer away till it's cooked. So, it's, you know, it's like a chicken supreme or whatever you want to call it. You know, we partner that with some boozy brews, agent prunes, um, maybe something a bit more sort of chefy now, like a celeriac puree or parsnip puree when you're into the depths of winter. And you've got to remember where we are, the pheasants are literally walking past your doorstep. Um, so they're for nothing. So it's a very cheap, um, local, seasonal food, but really, really tasty. You know, that's what sort of one of the first things that I ever cooked, probably about eight years old, I would think. On that odd moment, you're not in the kitchen, you're not in the scullery, you're not at the bar, you're not in the pantry. What about a, a takeaway or do you ever go there? Or just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I said, yeah, but a few kids and whatever, and they love it. And it's a treat rather than a necessity because I can cook really anything, you know. And uh, I live across the road from the start, so we can go over there and eat outside in the beer garden if the weather's good. But it's more of a treat having a takeaway, which is quite 
unusual, really, you know. Um, but no, love. Um, probably Indian curries would probably have more. Pizza place we go to in, in, in the local market town in Helmsley. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's good, but more to be the family man, really, rather than for me. Yeah. You know? It's different, isn't it, when you're a chef? Yeah. Because you can replicate and do all these dishes probably better than... In a way, and it doesn't matter what, what, what sort of... Um, what type of dish it is, you know, if it's if it's Indian or it's Cantonese or whatever, because some of them are quite poor, that you can actually can, as you say, do probably a better job than yourself. But it's not about that. It's for me. It's about going out with the family, having a good time. You know, four-year-old breaking the poppadoms over his head. You know, <laughs> me giving him some, you know, some nice hot curry to make him. You know, have you got any budding chefs in the family so far? Um, I'd say probably. My eldest daughter's eighteen. She's travelling the world at the moment. Uh, probably Olive, who's soon to be um, 11. She's got the best palate. She gives everything a go. She eats anything. So she's my best bet at the moment, I think, you know. But I think they're all interested and uh, they've all grown up with me, literally living above the shop, you know, to be honest. Um, and the mum, we've got the Pheasant Hotel in the village as well. Uh, so I'm unfortunately divorced, but um, she has that place as well. So they can't not be involved in catering, to be honest. But uh, either that or we've put them off for life. So, <laughs> <laughs> but good sportsmen uh, and women as well. So uh, we'll see. They may follow my, my uh, footsteps. Would you like that? I'd love it. Yeah, I'd love it. I'd really love to work with my kids in the same business would be fantastic. You know, and we've, we've done all the hard work, to be honest. You know, by the time they come into the business, yeah. then, you know, and we're off and running, you know, and uh, I love uh, travel the world, seeing a few different ideas, seeing whatever, and put some fresh legs into that. And if they could carry on that sort of that baton and, and fly the flag again, would be, it would be brilliant. I would be more than chuffed with that. That'd be fantastic. So you've mentioned chefs like Tom Kerridge, Claude Boussy. Which of these chefs that are contemporary at the minute really excite you? I'd like to go to Bibendum. I was due to go last week. It's just opened, uh, obviously it's, or it used to be the HQ of Vendum Tires and whatever. Um, I'd love to go there. I, I, you know, Claude's been to our place a couple of times uh, with those guys, and and the more mates and friends, you know. And, but it, and it, it is very much what he wants to do now. I think with Bebendum as opposed to Hibiscus, make it more of that family place. He's open Sunday lunch, and he's carving some of the things at the table, and it's that sort of. It's bringing it back to that sort of grandeur of going out and having a, a meal, you know, and then just a nice long lunch and whatever. And rather than about sort of fine dining and pulling everything apart and being a little picture on a plate and, you know, you have to go for a burger after you've been out for dinner. What do you think makes a meal special? I think it's the memories of it and the things that was just like, I remember that. I remember when Bib Commiss said that was the best thing we've ever tasted. So if they come back in again, I don't forget that. So I'll, I'll try and replicate it and cook it again for them as a, maybe a little amuse or something like that. And then people like those little touches, you know, and that consistency. I've been at Harem now for 21 years. I don't think we've, we've wavered a lot. You know, we lost to Mission Star, which was a slight hiccup, but that was more politics, I think, we were getting divorced and... Uh, opening in different places and it was just a bit of a wobble really um, and, and a, a bit of a wake up call but it's made us come back you know typical Yorkshire folk um, we were a bit perturbed by losing that because we didn't think we were doing anything wrong but we thought we should be maybe employing executive chefs 
doing this, doing that, because we're getting big. We were trying to push for being the first two-star pub in the world. Uh, and then all of a sudden, we were a no-star pub. So that taught us a lesson. Yeah. <laughs> so we went back to as we were. And uh, Steve, my head chef, Steve Smith, who's been with me nine years now, is fantastic. You know, um, we spend more time together than our respective partners, wives, whatever. Um, so we live and breathe the same, if you like. You know, and we didn't miss a shift in that two and a half years of not having the star. And it regained that consistency. And we were, rather than relying on other people thinking that's what we should do, we actually thought, you know, bollocks to it. We would just do it ourselves. Did you feel did. a little sense of about bloody time then when they told you that you're the best gastro pub in the UK? Because I have to confess, I did a little bit. Um, well, a lot of people keep telling us, but it's not the right people that do tell us. You know, uh, I <laughs> said, you know, when we, uh, when we, when we lost the star, people kept saying, oh, it's a travesty, this, that, and whatever. I said, don't tell me. You know, we're, we're trying our hardest right to Michelin. If nobody tells them, then nobody's going to know. And likewise, um, the gastro pub sort of uh, movement, the top um, top 50 gastro pubs, brilliant. But just get you get people to vote for you, you know. And, you know, it's something that I think people just always say, oh, the star, yes, yeah, great, it's lovely up there. And we always just used to slightly miss out. But now we've actually started shouting a bit and saying, you know, don't forget about us up north. And the top 50, I mean, there's... Loads of northern places in the top 50 clubs. So it's fantastic. You know? And uh, hopefully we might be able to bring it back up north next year for the presentation for the awards. So we, something we're working on. You seem to be this great advocate for Yorkshire. Is that why you put parking as your next dish? Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, this is this is a good story because uh, Matthew Fort, who was one of the judges yeah. for Great British Menu, and long before Great British Menu ever came on TV, he came um, to do a review. I think it was for The Guardian. Um, Guardian or Independent, whoever you're from, I'm not quite sure. I do apologise, Matthew, if you're listening. Um, but um, he came with a guy called Dennis Watkins, who was a bit like the sort of the country godfather of gastro pubs with the Angel at Hutton up near Skipton. And Dennis Watkins said, You need to go to this place. It's fantastic. You know, I've heard all about it. Let's go for lunch one day. And um, this was in the early days. I was probably 26 years old, maybe open just a year or whatever. And um, I didn't know he was coming. He just turned up. And uh, uh, Dennis said, oh, tell Andrew that we're, we're having lunch or whatever. Didn't know who Matthew Thought was, you know, because I was just a kid. And whatever. Anyway, but I had this, had this dish, and he loved it. And he called it something like, it, you know, I mean, Ginger Park, and you can't get any more northern than that. And it was a bit of a miserable lunchtime. And it was hot and spicy, tasty and racy or whatever he called it or and uh, we did it with rhubarb ripple ice cream, again, very Yorkshire, hot spice syrup. So it was that sort of sticky toffee sort of-esque um, dessert. And it just seemed to fit that day. And what he was doing, sitting on the corner bar table with the fire roaring next to him, 14th century thatch pub. And he absolutely loved it. And he, and he went on and on about it. And at the end of the year, when they did their sort of roundup of the year, Matthew Fort made it his dish of the year with the older... Uh, Yorkshire uh, ginger parking and uh, the best bit was that it beat Heston Blumenthal's crab ice cream with red cabbage gazpacho uh, so that was sort of one in the eye for the old uh, um, sort of fine dining room really. an uh, incredible uh, moment yeah it was great you know just you know we were on a, a roll all the way from opening the doors the first day uh, you know that we opened on the um, 20th of June 1996 we did 78 covers and I was in the kitchen by myself for three and a half weeks until I got one of the lads who used to work for me, a commie, and then another commie, you know, came along. So it was chaos, you know, but it was great. It was character building, but I was 
washing the, the, the pans to cook the next dish in and washing the plate to put that dish on, you know. People weren't getting served for two and a half hours, three hours, but they didn't care less <laughs> because it was different, you know. Yeah. And we didn't have anywhere to go. You know, I'd start working at seven o'clock in the morning, up past six in the morning, through till two o'clock, up past two, mopping the floor the next day. Um, but that built the foundations of everything. And dishes like the pheasant, like the ginger parking, like the black pudding poire gras, they've held me in good stead. And that's why I always sort of keep wheeling them out. You know, I mean, the ginger one we do now, it's more like a fondant, like a melting pudding, but it's still there in essence. You know, it's still will give you put hairs on your chest and give you a great end to a meal and you know that's what you want when you come to a, you know, a country in i've just had a full lunch at this amazing place and it's making me hungry so <laughs> i can only imagine if there's people listening out there that are on a half stomach. My mouth's watering, talking about it. I'm eating tons of it you know is it, is it important to find your own dishes tasty time and time again yeah but definitely it's taste 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 all the time you know uh, i had one of the dishes a new dishes last night and I said to the chef, I sent him a message, it, it's got to have some oomph. You know, that's what our, my food's all about. It's that sort of robust flavours. And that's what we became known for. I mean, people's palates sort of uh, have changed slightly now, but, you know, like Sean Hill writing the book on salt, you know, you've got to season things. You've got to have something that's just a bit more, give it a bit more character, you know, and, and stand up to, you know, the sort of quinoa and the uh, <laughs> things that are, you know, tofu and whatever that's, not us at all. It's not in the city that people could, you know, try things like that there. But, you know, you come into the, you know, a, a, a pub in the middle of the countryside, you want to have the food of that area, really. And uh, we work around things and we have things which are slightly more delicate. Um, but it's, it's, it's about, yeah, flavour first and foremost. That's actually a question I had. When you've got, so three, four different places and you get this idea for a dish, how do you decide, okay, that goes to the star at Heron or that goes to the star in the city or that's Mr. P's. How does that fit in? Or is it a slightly different thinking process? Well, I never stop thinking about different ideas, different concepts, different. So I've got an Italian concept. I've got a French con- concept. I've got a, uh, a Scandinavian concept. I've got a steakhouse concept, you know, uh, we've got fine dining and I've got virtually the menus written up for that in my brain and the logos and the idea and the feel for the place it's just finding the right establishment for that and having the staff first and foremost. So if I've not got the right chef or the right person in mind, then we wouldn't open the restaurant. You know, we probably do it the wrong way around, but that's maybe where they work because that you've already got a solid team and you're working with that team from day one um, saying you can have maybe a bit of this business one day. There could be some shares in there for you that, you know, it'll, it'll help your, um, it'll help the turnover. It'll help you, you financially for you and your family and give you a bit of ownership into the business rather than me. I can't do it by myself. I'm just part of the team. Yes, I'm the captain of that team, but it's trying to share the workload, but bring more people on board as well. You know, somebody gave me a, a leg up when I was 25 years old and all this mayhem has ensued after the yeah. last 21 years. When, when um, you've got this pub like Star <clears throat> Heron and you've, like you've mentioned, you lost your star and then it takes this while to, to gain this recognition. Do you now feel a little bit nervous when you're going to make changes to it? Like the rooms that you've alluded to or any improvements to the restaurant, is there a sense of nervousness or does it just feel right? this is natural, it's evolution, what will be will be? Yeah, it, it's evolution really. I don't. I, I'm not very good at nerves or things like that, and I, I and I'm good at taking risks. 
and let everybody else worry about it, basically, you know. So, um, but I think that's the best way to be, really. You know, the, the rules are there to be broken and uh, break down a few boundaries and just take a few risks because, you know, I don't know if it's stupidity or naivety or just, you know, maybe we actually know what we're doing. Uh, and um, I have ideas and they, they touch wood, um, seem to have worked out so far so good. But within the dishes... I quite like them all to have a bit of a the Star in the City and the Star uh, a Star in the Harbour are linked together. Mr. Right. P's is individual and the Star House yes. is 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 me. Yes. Me. Um but they're still sort of knitted together. So um every now and again we'll put um Blackwood and Poirot dish on at the Star in the City, sort of under cover of darkness. Um we thought about putting it on at Whitby because there's a lot of regular people go to Heron from Whitby Way. So hence I mentioned that we put the fire guard toad in the hole on. The um, special menu at Star in the City is called Welcome to Whitby. So you've got seafood dishes on there for their sort of set menu. Uh, the Strasbourg sausage, the hot dog, hoot dog as we call it, because it's a posh one, is on the menu here at Mr. P's is going to be on in Whitby. Um and then alongside that, we're going to do like a posh fish finger sandwich. Uh, so it's like a, that's with kipper and caper coleslaw, salt and vinegar seaweed. So it's still, you know, my sort of food, but just giving people what they want. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the idea, really, isn't it? You know, yeah. a, you know, food that people can relate to, but just with a bit of a twist, really. And that's the thing that knits all of them together, I think, is is me and my sort of craziness, quirkiness and whatever. Um, but it seems to work. What was the trigger then that made you decide that now is the right time? You mentioned having this, it has to fall into place. What fell into place to say, right, this is homecoming time now? With Whitby? Yes. Um, it's a very sociable job that I have, and there's a lot of networking goes on. And I think people obviously saw the success of Stein City and thought, I know, you know, people, it tends to be more businessmen and things like that. You know, there's, it's a long way down the line, and then you work it backwards, and we're the first thing in in this maybe change of things that are happening in Whitby and I can see the the bigger picture. Um, and we were asked a question, you know, would you be interested? Uh, a, a guy in York uh, called Mike Green, a property developer with Gem Construction, he asked me five years ago at Harem at a wine tasting or sherry tasting as it was, you don't know anybody who fancies opening a restaurant in York, do you? And that was it. So, yeah, <laughs> it took me about two seconds. Well, not even that. I know me. I I'll do it. Yeah. And that was it, you know. And, you know, we're great mates now and work together. And we've done Mr. P's together. We're doing Star in the City together, uh, Star in the Harbour together. We've done Star in the City together. But he's the property man. He knows the ins and outs and, you know, knows how to, to build the thing. And I have the, yeah. the nice bit at the end, if you like. But that's the important bit because that's the thing. There's nobody building a restaurant and it all, you know, looking great, but nobody going in there. So it's a good partnership between the two of us, really. So I've summed it up like this on my list here i've got listed buildings derelict cottages riverside dining and homecomings mm. is that fair i think so yeah and, and they're all good locations you know the good things and you know there's other things which are again are in the pipeline it's really good it's good it'll be good at, you know it's not just in a back street somewhere it's that's quite a good location yes. you know you slap bang in the middle of you know you're going for seafood you're right on the harbour side you're six foot away from the harbour side you're looking at whitby abbey you know the sort of the trawlers are going past when you're dining and it, it it gives people that sort of idea and that sort of um reassures them 
that yes. this is where what I'm coming to Whitby for this, you know. I know the location. I'm in a, I'm in a fast pub, you know, it's miserable, it's cold outside, it's snowing, I'm eating game, I'm gonna have slow gin, I'm having blue cheese and port, you know, I've got hand pulled beers, fantastic. The sun's shining, I'm by the river, people are rowing past, uh, I'm, I'm looking at good looking women, I've got <laughs> sunglasses on, the missus doesn't know I'm looking at Is that just you? Or? <laughs> That's probably 99% of males in New York, I think, today. Um, but Andrew not, Pern does know? not speak on behalf of all of York. I would just like to make that clear. <laughs> no, maybe hair. Yeah, we don't get out much as boys. Which was the biggest project? I think it's probably the star in the city was the biggest project. That was massive, right? We had five thousand people booked before we opened the doors. Um, uh, Whitby is plummeting towards that, um, but I, we've we've learned by our mistakes. Put it that way. But the star in the city was just. We knew it was going to be busy. We knew it was going to be big. There was, but there was things like the phone lines let us down. So there's credit cards. It was just like niggly things, which is more operational than my ideas of what I wanted. You know, now it's it's somewhere near where we wanted it. You know, and and it seems to run fairly smoothly. And you know, it does a, can do up to seven thousand covers in a week. You know, it's a, it's a big it's a big um, establishment, a big uh, big volume, and uh, I've judged things. You know, nationwide on uh, other places in London, whatever, and uh, the, the, what we do up here is, is beats them hands down. That makes me proud. You know? Definitely and, you should and, be. And proud of the team, you know. Um, I think, you you know, talking to Matt Hunter in the future and whatever, and what those guys have done, you know. And it, it, it was bumpy. <laughs> it was really bumpy, you know, when we first started. But everybody hung in there, you know, and uh, we had belief in ourselves. And uh, there were some dark days and, you know, some people were, upset and miffed off and they thought it was going to be like Heron but maybe we didn't portray it as well as we thought in our own minds what we thought it was going to be like um, and other people thought it was going to be like Heron so they were disgruntled thinking they'd go to a mission side restaurant but you know in the countryside at Heron we've got more staff than customers probably sometimes you know so it's that attention to detail down there here is some sort of middle of the road mid-ground sort of offering yes. um, of bringing some of the countryside sort of ingredients to town but still doing them, you know, for the bulk and for the volume. And, you know, you can have a pint, you have cocktails, you know. It's a great place to go to, to enjoy yourself. Do you feel like you can guarantee success now with the reputation no. that you've built? I would never say that. I'd never be, I'd, I'd never, I would never guarantee success. I, um, I'd make sure it worked. That's how I would make That's the difference. Yeah. We won't fail. <laughs> Put it that way. If we've got to work 25 hours a day, eight days a week, We'll make it work. We won't give in until it, it is how we want it. I remember the, there was a lot in the newspapers, I think, going back to Star in the City, and there was about uh, Yorkshire puddings in flat caps and, and things like that. And you kind of got slated a little bit. When you've worked so hard and these dishes, that we, you know, we'll come back to your last dish in a minute, but they're obviously so personal to yourself. How does that feel? I'm allowed to swear or not? Of course you are. <laughs> Go for it. Well, I mean, you know, people that criticise things. For me, it's a bit of fun. I, you having met me in the last hour or so, I'm quite easygoing, you know, and I like a bit of a laugh. It's been really but hard people, work. I'm just going to make a note of that. People just take life too seriously, you know. <laughs> and uh, my head chef, Steve, I mentioned before, went up to Tom Kitchens in Edinburgh. It's great there, you know. You, you know you're in Scotland, you know, the waiters have got the kilts on and it's very tarp and there's heather and there's this. I would have said, we should do something 
that's Yorkshire. What's Yorkshire? You know, because they then tart and sack something for the for the bread. So what about serving it in flat caps? Thanks for a laugh. And uh, so let's do it. So we went out and bought forty flat caps. Something you were hosting yeah. a Yorkshire wedding. Yeah, it was a bit like that. And uh, and then we started to use them. But then people said, "Oh my God, where's this been? Has somebody been wearing it?" And why would we ever do that? You know, we're a well-known place, um, good awards, good you know, good publicity and stuff. We're not going to be stupid. It's just like a bit of fun. You know, people said something. I said, we tried to serve it on the back of a whippet, you know, but it gets <laughs> And they still actually took that on board, thinking that I was being serious. Have a kestrel yeah, fly was, in. You know, just relax a bit, you know. Um, but, you know, some people like, get it and some people don't get it. So I'm not really phased by it. You know? I, I, I've moved up to Yorkshire two years ago and I absolutely love this county because I think there are people like yourself and people have a sense of humour. Yeah. The problem is... It's supposed, supposed to be grim up north and people, nah. you know... We're supposed to be dour and tight and all that. They couldn't be any more wrong, you know. I mean, you look at the Welcome to Yorkshire and the Tour de Yorkshire and the Tour de France, you know, all the French guys come and dine in our places, and they absolutely love it, you know. And, you know, we have rooms at the harem and we run on sort of 90-plus occupancy in each month. So there's that demand all the time when people come, because it's so diverse is the countryside, I think, and, and the places, you know, all our residents come to York, you know, and see this side, they go through the uh, North York Wars, they can go and see the coast, you know, the county is so diverse, so it's, uh, that's where the ingredients come from for our, for our menus, which is... Uh, Tell me then about this this last dish then. Well, the last the dish is, uh, yeah, it's a bit of a curveball after I've just said that. Well, that's kind of uh, what I was thinking, actually. It doesn't... But this sort of harks back to when I was working in Fontainebleau, uh, or just outside, and I was put in charge of uh, staff um, staff meals each day. You anglaise, you know, and that was it. That was my name. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but we'd always have uh, maybe uh, like a, a blanquette of veal or something like that, using all the scraps, and they're doing different burgers, steak cachet, all that sort of thing. Um, but they'd always have brie de mo because we were near Mo and Mullen between the, uh, that area, and uh, it was always brie and baguette, cornichons. Half bottle of wine, that was staff lunch at half eleven. Pull a table out into the middle of the kitchen. And I can still remember that. Christophe Delan was the chef who was sous chef there. You know, and you make friends like that for life, you know. And it was that sort of it was literally the breaking of the bread, having a good time, and, and that's what I always will remember. And I'm I'm very much of people that looked after me in the early days, that we will always use them as suppliers or you know look after them get out of the red carpet dust it off if they come for dinner and whatever so it's that's what you want you know even that sort of auberge is is that sort of style is, is the start here and, and cornichons uh, just like a mi- mini pickle is it yeah it's like pickled cucumber you know uh obviously very french and whatever but it's it sort of cuts through that fattiness the, t- the truffle tunworth is something that we have on the menu now and it's it's like a little camembert uh, cheese but it reminds me of those times when i eat it I eat far too much cheese, as you can probably see by my waistline. <laughs> my missus always gives me a hard time. I love cheese. I really. I also should have Mr. P's wine and cheese. <laughs> yes, a good deli name. Um, Perhaps that's that next. may happen. It's just it's just brought out a notepad and pen. He scribbled that down. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got a good ring to it, and a lot of things. Mr. P's patisserie, you know, all those starring this, that, whatever. It, they're always good names. It's yeah. rolls off the tongue a bit, really, and uh, it makes selling that concept a lot easier to the guys with the money, you know, Joe Public, the, yes. the, uh, the, the customers, the guests that want to come and dine with us. So it's, uh, yeah, you don't need to take life too seriously. It's, uh, so I've asked you in this last hour to kind of look back, look forward a little bit. What's the 
highlight if you can pick just one of your career? Uh, winning missions down, definitely. Because that still means as much got... today as it does. Oh, um, yeah, the old uh, bottom lip quivers when I say it, but I remember when we were when it because nobody um, nobody was ever awarded missions task, um, you know, for pubs and whatever. And we had a bib gourmand, uh, and uh, we used to close in January, and the Michelin guy came out in, in January, and um, <clears throat> I was a bit sort of more probably insecure then. And I, um, I used to ring the Michelin guide just to make sure we still had the award and things like that. And we're out in Mergev, which is a uh, French Alps, uh, sort of semi-skiing holiday, more eating holiday because there's great, great um, uh, foodie sort of chefs. And I think that sort of um, Haute Savoie, that sort of area is very much like North Yorkshire. So I try and glean some inspiration from them. And anyway, we were there and uh, I rang the Michelin guide and I said, oh, I'm just checking that we've got our, retained our bib gourmand. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm afraid to tell you that we've taken it away. And I was like, oh my God, yeah. various things nearly fell out. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, uh, but they said, I'm pleased to say that we've replaced it with the Michelin star. Congratulations. And uh, I now feel like crying, but I won't. But I remember... Um, Reading my dad, and he was crying when I told him. I was crying. Everyone was crying. I was in the street, you know. And he said, oh, "I told you, you bugger, you'd win one one day." He did, he's a farmer. He didn't have a clue what, what yeah, they are. What it actually means. But he knew how much it meant to yeah. you. Yeah, it is, it is. And even now, just saying it, it's a, it's one of those things that just brings you straight back down to earth, and it means a lot, you know. And it means a lot when you lose it. I can tell you that as well. Yes, because you feel like you're sort of um, you're alienated. And you're out of the gang, you know, it's that little club, you know. I was um, curious whether to ask you about it today because it feels, before doing my research, it feels to me like the star at Harem has been somewhere that's had a mission staff ever. Yeah. You know, before I got to know you and before yeah. I got to know it just feels like this is the place when you won that star, um, when you won the, sorry, the best pub this year, yeah. it, like I say, it felt like, well, so, yeah, yeah, so it should have. But then I found out that you'd lost it. Yeah. That must have. That's the, be- the beauty, if you can call it that in the inverted commas. Of Michelin, you just don't know. You know, you can go, and um, you still you're still a bit nervy when it comes out. You know, because um, you just don't know. You know, and you never know the day, do you? And it, it it's it's a better story when someone loses it, if you like, because I completely it, agree. Um, because we were sort of top of the pile, and then we get dumbling down. Wild Honey or one of those in London yeah. that lost it quite recently, and yeah. that was one that had, had it for yeah. years and years and years. But there's no rules and regulations, no questionnaires to fill out. There's no nothing. You don't get a trophy. You go to Waterstones or WH Smiths or whatever. You buy your copy you and buy you find your copy, out. You look at it. You sort of thumb through it straight to York, it, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and then you know if you've if you've got a little star next to your name, then you. You buy every copy in the shop and tell the world. But if you haven't, you throw it back at the bookshelf and headbutt the, the the wall and things like that. And would you like to have another venue that could achieve a star, or do you feel like you've got the one? That's it. It's not something I would chase. No. Um, if if it came along, great, brilliant, you know, and, and we'd we'd welcome it with open arms and uh, make sure we looked after it and uh, up the ante. But it's um, you know, I mean, if we'd be works out. It could do. It depends what they're looking for. Yeah. As I say, there are no rules. If you do really good fish and chips, then there's no reason why they wouldn't no. give you one. The street food places have got them in, you know, in Asia. You know, there's um, Italian places have got them there, which is, it is that sort of hidden sort of aura of the Michelin Guide, you know. I've not spoken to an inspector for years. You know, now and again, if the, they'll come and um, 
introduce themselves and say they've got any plans for moving on or any plans for doing accommodation or just a general hello really yeah to get to know um, about the business which is quite nice um but uh no um we've sort of well, i don't know if we've learned our lesson or not we don't we weren't quite sure what we did wrong in the first place to be honest but uh you know we, as i said you know we just got our heads down and got on with it really so it's consistency yeah really, you know enjoy it and look after the customers and not not your own ego or anything like that and then then you'll do well what i'm going to ask you to do then if you don't mind is just read me one by one the names of your dishes and then what i'd like you to do is pick if you can one special which is the dish of the day it's your favorite dish out of these five my dish of the day for today or the dish of the day for my career you choose Okay, well, to kick off with, we've got lots of Nicoise, as we mentioned, uh, that I dined on at um, Gas Louis Cairns in Monaco many moons ago. Uh, sort of pre-kids, I think that was, so I actually had some money. Uh, and then that's followed by a grilled black pudding, pan-fried foie gras, uh, pickling watercress, apple and vanilla chutney, with scrumpy reduction, um, which sums up the star and is the name of my uh, first book, uh, which came runner-up in the world as Best Chef Cookbook, which is fab. Uh, Faison Normand, uh, which I cooked as a kid, um, very much the sort of um, the comfort food within the uh, within the menu. I think you know. Uh, but saying that, the, the ginger parking, it's got that warming feeling, which is a, the dessert, which is rhubarb partnered with rhubarb ripple ice cream and a hot spice syrup. And we actually send send that sometimes with um, rhubarb schnapps, which is just an extra reason to stay a little bit longer <laughs> in a place of ill repute. Uh, and then to finish that off, Truffle Tunworth, it could be any cheese, really. You know, it's um, it's one of my faves. And it's uh, to have it with the, with the bread and the cornichons or I could have it with the, um, the sea salt crackers or something like that. It's just a good combination, you know. Uh, but I think the black pudding foie gras has to be my dish of, of my lifetime um, just because it's been on the menu. It's one that's so popular and, you know, Famous people have had it. Michael Caine's dined on it. Suggs has dined on it. <laughs> David Hockney's had it. Um, Royalty's had it. Wow. Know, Princess Anne. So, you know, and people come and have main course portions of it. So you need St. John's Ambulance on call or the air ambulance <laughs> sort of hovering above sometimes. But uh, uh, it does have a hair and health warning. So it's only fair to keep it on the menu, I think. So a little while ago, you said that you got a tear in your eye. I'm... A little bit close now as I wrap up my first ever interview of the past podcast. When you try and set out these things, when you try and think of a guest, you have one that you go to. And if they say no, you go down and down and down the ladder. That's where I came in. You were <laughs> very much the bottom. No, you were <laughs> the first chef that I wanted on this podcast. You well, were thank the you first person I messaged about this podcast. Andrew Pern. You have been the first ever guest on the past podcast. Thank you so much. It's been a privilege. Thank you very much. And that menu in front of you, that's yours to keep. So thank you so much. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you. The past podcast is brought to you in association with Great British Chefs. Recipes, hints, tips and features on this year's Great British menu. Sign up for the mailing list at greatbritishchefs.com. I'm hoping to add some bonus content soon. So if you sign up to the mailing list, that'll be the best way for all your past podcast news.